Welcome to part one of The Road to LA 84, our multi-episode retrospective on the 40th anniversary of a seminal moment in a golden era of marathoning. We're telling the behind-the-scenes account of the athletes, the training, and the build-up races. This week, we take you to Rotterdam 1983. It was billed as an epic showdown between arguably the world's two best marathoners, Alberto Salazar and Rob D. Costella. Forty years later, here's the story of Rotterdam 1983 on mile 150 of Seconds Flat. This is the Seconds Flat Running Podcast. He's broken three times. He refuses to give in. He might do it. Look at that guy. Look at Black Oh, my God. In a 1982 feature on Alberto Salazar entitled Uncomfortable with fame, comfortable with 208. Runner's World quoted legendary coach Bill Squires, who asserted, there are three things you don't bet against, death, taxes, and Salazar. Coach Squires had known Salazar since his days as a precocious high schooler training with the more seasoned members of the Greater Boston Track Club. A hotshot Cuban-American prep cross-country champ from Wayland, Mass., Salazar became known simply as the rookie. Leading into the 1983 Rotterdam Marathon, no one could dispute Squire's position. Salazar had ascended the track and field news world rankings and finished 1982 ranked as the world's top marathoner on the heels of wins in both Boston and New York. The former in the timeless duel in the sun against Dick Beardsley, and the latter running his career marathon record to four victories in four attempts. Remarkable range buttressed Salazar's greatness. Also in 82, he took silver at the World Cross Country Championships. No American has finished as high since, set a new course record at the Falmouth Road Race, and ran an American 10K road record of 28.04 at the Orange Bowl 10K. 16 months out from the Olympic Games, Alberto Salazar was a gold medal favorite, and perhaps as much a certainty as death and taxes. On the other side of the globe, Rob D. Costella, a year Salazar's junior, was on the short list of credible challengers to the title World's Best Marathoner. Deke, as the Australians called their beloved distance prodigy, fell under the guidance of former NCAA three-mile champ and fellow Aussie Pat Cloessi. Clo coached with the Australian Olympic team and his stable of athletes later included the great Sean Crichton. By 1983, De Costella's meteoric rise mirrored Salazar's ascent to marathoning prominence. In 1981, at age 24, Deke won the prestigious Fukuoka Marathon in Japan. His 208.18 was the fastest time ever recorded on an out-and-back course. Later, after re-measurement of the New York City course determined its 1981 path roughly 100 meters short, De Costella's mark became the world record surpassing Salazar's nullified 208.13 and the previous record mark from Australian Derek Clayton over a decade earlier. D. 
Deke followed his record-breaking Fukuoka performance with what luminary Ron Clark called the greatest marathon ever. An unseasonably sultry morning awaited competitors at the 1982 Commonwealth Games Marathon in Brisbane. A blistering early pace from two Tanzanian rivals, combined with near 100% humidity, left Di Castella in a nearly one-minute hole beyond halfway. Gastric distress worsened his circumstances, and the favorite was on the ropes. But Deke summoned strength from a place it seems only the all-time greats can find, responding to the roars of thousands of Australians who line the course and the hopes of millions more watching the action live at home. De Costella closed the gap in the final 5K. When asked in 2022 about the home race pressure of Brisbane and the throng of Aussies jamming the streets, Deke responded, it's what you live for. It's what you train for. You've got to embrace it. With 3K remaining, De Costella, his arm carriage now low and wide as he swung his hulking frame toward the finish, hurtled past the startled leader, Juma Ikanga. The two exchanged leads four times in the final stretch, but the Aussie delivered the definitive blows, winning by 80 meters. Soon after, Rob announced he would return to Brisbane and join Alberto Salazar in a marathon match race. But under the amateurism rules of the era, the IAAF, which has since morphed into modern track and field's governing body, World Athletics, refused to sanction the showdown. Rotterdam's organizers stepped in, repeatedly pressing Deke and Salazar to compete in the land of windmills and tulips. Once Deke agreed, Salazar feared losing his world record without contest. The nascent Rotterdam Marathon's flat course and typically optimal April racing temperatures provided the perfect backdrop for testing the mettle of Di Castella, Salazar, and several more of the sport's biggest stars. In fact, Deke noted pre-race that it would be the most competitive marathon ever run. And in hindsight, the course has lived up to its reputation. Multiple world records fell there over the course of the 1980s, and gold label status has been bestowed on the race. By 1983, the training programs of our two lions of the marathon were well-refined. Alberto Salazar developed under the influence of Bill Squires, arguably the greatest American marathon coach ever then blossomed collegiately at Oregon training for Bill Dellinger. In his prime, Dellinger held multiple American records and ran in three Olympic Games, Melbourne 1956, Rome 1960, and Tokyo 1964. At Tokyo, he reached his crowning achievement, bronze in the 5,000 meters, only a second behind fellow American Bob Schull. Dellinger came from the influential Bill Bowerman School of Training, and when Bowerman retired as U of O headman, Dellinger succeeded him. He molded giants like Steve Prefontaine, Rudy Chapa, Joaquin Cruz, and Salazar. Dellinger, like his mentor Bowerman, generally followed a hard, easy training approach. While many of us understand this as running hard one day and easy the next, which is largely true, Dellinger's paradigm included far more nuance. Hard Easy had an intra-session alternating pace meaning as well. For example, the rookie's training log from the 1977 cross-country season, one in which Oregon won the team title and Salazar finished ninth individually, 
shows consistent workout sessions on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Saturdays. Under closer inspection, we see variations of quality within the workouts. On several Saturdays, Dellinger prescribed the 30th Avenue drill, a program staple. As performed by Salazar, the session included a fast mile, four mile effort we now might call a tempo, a second fast mile, another four mile tempo, and a closing fast mile for 11 miles of total work. Within that 11 miles, Salazar covered a hilly route in South Eugene for the tempo segments. Significantly, this session calls for a continuous effort. The 30th Avenue drill became a key indicator for Alberto throughout his marathon career. In the buildup to his New York City PR, Salazar claimed the only two things that could keep him from getting the world record were warm weather or getting tripped. That confidence stemmed from running personal best workout times for the 30th Avenue drill. And while he dropped some of the cross-country specific hill rep workouts from college, Salazar continued with alternating pace track sessions like 800 meter reps into a six mile steady run, then back to the track for faster 300 meter reps. These callousing bouts served the rookie well in multiple ways. First, it allowed him to surge off of an already quick pace. His 433 17th mile at New York in 1981 to blast away from Rodolfo Gomez and Jose Gomez became the stuff of legend. Plus, Salazar's passion for track racing and training was sated. He told Bob Wishnia, I'll continue to train more for the track than the road because I don't just want to be a road runner. I believe that if you train for the track, you can always run the roads at a fairly high level. But I don't think you can train exclusively for the roads and do well on the track. Dellinger and Salazar saw 10,000-meter track training and marathon training as quite similar. The overlaps appear in Salazar's track-based perspective and the program prescriptions in Dellinger's 1978 book, Winning Running. A slight increase in overall volume to approximately 120 miles per week, normally on six days of doubles and a Sunday single, and a more substantial uptick in the week's longest run characterized Salazar's transition from track season to marathon prep. In Australia, the world's second-ranked marathoner tackled slightly higher volume each week. Rob DiCostella settled into 135-mile weeks in the Rotterdam build, and from 1980 through 1983, he averaged 110 miles weekly, even including down weeks and short breaks after key races. Deke stayed relatively injury-free through this period, by his count, losing only around 10 days of training to injury in the decade leading up to Rotterdam. While the masses knew De Castella as Deke, competitors often called him Tree in reference to his strong, sturdy build. Tree's approach was more formulaic than Salazar's as weeks looked far more repetitive with only slight adjustments for the time of year. In consult with coach Pat Cloessi and training partner Chris Wardlaw, a fellow Olympian, and future coach of the great Steve Monaghetti, Deke's program became known as the Australian Complex System. And by 1983, the weekly schedule was entrenched. Mondays were an easy double run, 10 kilometers in the morning and 16 kilometers in the afternoon. Tuesdays presented the first opportunity for fast running. 
a 10K AM shakeout preceded the PM session of hill work, which in the early years took the form of a 10-mile fartlek run on a hilly loop and evolved into warm-up plus two-mile threshold plus eight times hill sprints plus cooldown. Deke doubled again on Wednesdays, won a shorter run of 10K and a flat midweek long run of roughly 18 miles. Despite the fatigue surely induced over consecutive days, DeCostella hit the track on Thursdays for his trademark session, quarters. Eight by 400 meters at paces as fast as 62 seconds when in peak form with 200 meter float recovery in 45 seconds. Of course, he coupled the quarters with an easy double. Friday mirrored Monday, serving as one of only two easy days through the week. On Saturday mornings, Deke regularly ran either another hill session or 10 miles hard, something akin to present conceptions of a 10-mile tempo run, followed by an afternoon 10K double. Often, these two sessions merged into a hard tempo over hills. Then he iced the cake with the Church of the Sunday long run. 21 to 22 miles over hills, starting at around 7-minute pace, and quickening to an average of between 6 minutes and 6 minutes 15 seconds per mile. This long run had two other key features. The group always surged the hills hard and closed the run fast. DeCostella valued the long runs above all else. After Rotterdam, he told Runner's World, the Wednesday and Sunday runs are the two most important sessions each week. If you've got to cut back, try to avoid reducing your long runs, as the strength you get from them is vital. Hill work came in a close second. In Running Tough, Michael Sandrock quotes Deke, Hills are a great way to simulate sprinting when you are tired at the end of a race. Hill running makes you strong, helps you get faster, and improves your running form. While the Aussie and the Oregonian traveled different roads to Rotterdam, their training shared some key components. At first glance, Deke skirts the hard, easy principle with challenging Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Saturday, Sunday constructions. However, in each instance, he inserts an easy shakeout or double run between the harder sessions. Remember, DeCostella commonly trained 13 times per week. He even admits to brief periods of more when he tripled while at the Australian Institute of Sport, rather than seven times per week. Moreover, he applied the fluctuating effort principle within his quarters session, much like Salazar's 30th Avenue drill. Both men adhered to the time-tested philosophy of alternating pace training like the best coaches employed decades earlier and still use today. Although tempo running was more organic and less defined in the 70s and 80s, it was no less important in good training than it is today. DeCostella and Salazar included sustained efforts at or between the first and second lactate thresholds in each microcycle. Furthermore, as Breaking Two Project physiologist Andy Jones prescribes, Tree and the rookie accumulated the most possible quality work within the constraints of their high mileage structure. It wasn't just a ton of slow jogging that got them to the top, but rather a combination of high mileage at a level reasonable for maintaining a significant number of high quality sessions. With the scene set and the miles logged, 
the protagonist descended on Rotterdam. Coach Colesi felt positive about Deke's training cycle, but Salazar suffered a groin strain during the cross-country season. Despite the injury, he finished fourth at the World Cross Champs in March, only a second behind the victor, and with massage and therapy, felt whole again for Rotterdam. While Di Castella and Salazar arrived as clear favorites, they were far from alone. Carlos Lopez of Portugal, who finished second at 83 World Cross ahead of Salazar, his second silver to complement an Olympic 10,000 silver at Montreal 1976, was attempting a late career track to marathon transition. In his only previous marathon experience, Lopez DNF'd after a collision with a spectator. Rodolfo Gomez, Mexico's most prolific racer, prepared for any and all race tactics. After getting dropped by Salazar's surges in New York, he redoubled his efforts to train for that specific approach. Simultaneously, Gomez, the defending Rotterdam champ, retreated to Bolivia, sequestering himself outside La Paz at elevations over two miles above sea level and training with monastic discipline. Arriving in Rotterdam fresh off a personal best and second place finish at Tokyo, Gomez declared himself finally ready to master the marathon. Beyond the heavy hitters, a slate of top locals and Europeans were in the field, all planned on tucking in behind Scottish pacemaker John Graham. Two years earlier, Graham won the inaugural Rotterdam Marathon, blazing a 2.09.28 while pressing world record tempo until a late race fade. Graham followed with a fourth at Brisbane 82, three spots behind Deke, and Rotterdam officials tasked him with taking the pack through at least halfway on world record pace. After gusty breezes throughout race week, dawn broke on April 9th with cool temps and calm winds. A global television audience tuned in, lured by the promise of the fiercest battle yet in road racing's boom age of the 70s and early 80s. ABC owned the U.S. broadcast. They featured former Mile star Marty LaCorey, who looked youthful and era-appropriate in his muted yellow ABC Wide World of Sports sport coat. John Graham served his purpose well in the opening miles, leading the field out from Rotterdam's town hall and central business district. At the time, Rotterdam was the world's largest port city. Graham clipped 5K in 1510 and 10K in 3031, both inside pace for Deke and Salazar's previous best marks. Deke wore a soft white Australian Institute of Sport top with three thin vertical blue-green stripes stretching from under his arms down to his hips. Salazar was adorned in his Hallmark Athletics West kit. Red shorts, white jersey with a bold red horizontal stripe across the chest, and the words Athletics West, emblazoned in an Old West stagecoach font, still used in the type for the Prefontaine Classic track meet logo. Once out of central Rotterdam, the course followed three loops around a large, leafy, urban park on the city's eastern perimeter. Here, John Graham became unnerved. He noticed the front pack had slipped more than 10 meters off his shoulder. The race went tactical far earlier than expected. By half, the leaders had drifted a few seconds outside of world record goal. Graham crossed 13.1 in 104.28. His work complete, he stepped off the course. DeCastella commented post-race on the effort feeling slow at midway, 
His original strategy was to wait for the final three to four miles, then execute a sustained squeeze rather than Salazar's patented hard surge tactic. Content with racing to win instead of continuing a record time pursuit, Deke settled in, biding his time before a potential late race move. The lead changed hands frequently between 20K and 30K. Deke, Gomez, Lopez, and Salazar still looked comfortable, each sizing up the others, anticipating the onset of real racing. But for Tree and Gomez, the cool countenances hid underlying concerns. Gomez fought a large blister on his foot, which began affecting his gait. And Deke felt the same stomach issues that nearly felled him at Brisbane. He was forced to relieve himself while running, then grabbed several wet sponges at an aid station to clean his shorts and legs. Aussie TV commentators, unaware of Deke Estella's GI discomfort, speculated that Deke used the sponges to cool his hamstrings. Runners Tribe historian Len Johnson wrote that Australian marathoners who watched live Rotterdam coverage mimicked this hamstring cooling protocol at the next day's Canberra Marathon. Relieved, De Costella found his stride in the lead pack of five. From the 30K to 35K mark, Alberto Salazar set the tempo, splitting 15.48, a significant departure from the early pace. But each man knew that was a prelude to the closing drive. Who would make that push? And could the others respond? Rob Di Costella affirmatively answered the former question, moving earlier than his competitors with superior track speed might have wanted, and covering the 5K stretch between 35K and 40K in 14:47. Soon, the world's greatest runners were broken in his wake. Surprisingly, first went Salazar. An eighth of a mile off the pack with 5K remaining and feeling gassed, the rookie watched his hopes for a 5-0 marathon record slip away. He hoped Deke's offensive was too much too soon and that the leaders might slide back, but they kept pressing. Next, Gomez, despite fighting with every ounce of energy, lost touch. Beyond 24 miles, only two titans stood. Deke Estella and the marathon novice, Carlos Lopez. Deke expected punching the gas again would shake off his Portuguese combatant. However, it only emboldened Lopez. He moved alongside Deke with a mile to go. Just as at Brisbane in 82, Deke Estella went to his arms, pumping, carriage low, body askew, face contorting with the effort. Deke's move transformed into an all-out sprint in the final quarter mile. Lopez faded, but barely. The two-second gap was insurmountable. Crossing the tape in two hours, eight minutes, and 37 seconds, Rob D. Costella claimed the 1983 Rotterdam Marathon crown. Carlos Lopez's second-place debut put the marathon world on notice that the second act of his career had real potential, leaving the track and the accompanying injuries that hampered him in the late 70s and early 80s, the roads and grass looked like a natural fit and his time of 2.08.39 set a new European record. He had joined Di Castella, Salazar, and Gomez as a legitimate contender for the podium in Los Angeles 16 months later. Alberto Salazar's fourth-place finish shocked his American partisans. When he crossed the line, he simply asked for Di Castella's time. 
appeased knowing he still owned the world record. This was before New York's course was found to have been short. Salazar collected himself and appeared composed. Then he stewed, then his frustration bubbled. But his ultimate goals of running faster across all distances and claiming gold in LA were still attainable if he conquered that lingering groin injury and redoubled his efforts. Rotterdam's victor moved to pole position for Los Angeles. As Kenny Moore wrote in his Sports Illustrated race recap, the Aussie put them all down under. Rob D. Costello's victories and times made him every bit Salazar's equal, perhaps more. Fukuoka, Brisbane, Rotterdam, epic performances across three continents and three years. Could Deke stretch that streak to four in Los Angeles? First, he planned a return trip to Europe for the inaugural world championships in Helsinki. And before that, the best of the best who didn't feature at Rotterdam, plus the world's second-ranked women's marathoner, were set to charge from Hopkinton to Boston in the Boston Marathon. We'll tell the story of Boston 1983 in part two of The Road to LA 1984 next time on Seconds Flat. <laughs>